Welcome to a special edition of Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. This is Andrea Scobie and Arthur White with Michigan Opera Theater. Today we're here to bring you a preview of Michigan Opera Theater's 49th season opening concert starring Metropolitan Opera tenor Michael Fabiano and friends. We're so excited to be talking about Michigan Opera Theater's 49th season gala coming to the Detroit Opera House October 12th. We're going to be joined by uh, Metropolitan Opera tenor Michael Fabiano who's returning to Detroit after several years uh, for that gala performance he'll be joined by a soprano Leia Corchetto and uh, Detroit favorite Roderick Dixon indeed and we'll also be welcoming uh, two performers from the American Ballet Theater um, to incorporate some dance into that evening and of course uh, the Michigan Opera Theater Orchestra will be playing live um, we look forward to a wonderful concert So at this gala concert, we are going to be honoring George Shirley, who was the first African-American tenor to sing a leading role at the Metropolitan Opera. Um, George is also uh, a music educator, um, prolific in his music education career. He was the first African-American music teacher with Detroit Public Schools and has taught many, many students, including Michael Fabiano, who will be headlining this concert. Um, and we have another important honoree as well um, that evening. Arthur, tell us a little bit. So we're going to be honoring uh, Michigan Opera Theater's longtime board chairman, Rick Williams. Uh, he served MOT for over 17 years, uh, and in 2018, he was the recipient of the National Opera Trustee Recognition Award, which was presented by Opera America. And we're looking forward to celebrating both these extraordinary uh, contributions to opera. We are very pleased to welcome a special guest to the podcast today, Metropolitan Opera star tenor Michael Fabiano. Welcome to Detroit. Great to be with you. You know, you just opened a new production of uh, Massonet's Manon at the Met, and I was just reading one review uh, which praised you for your passion and your finesse. Uh, I know that you grew up uh, in New Jersey. You ended up at the University of Michigan to study business and law, I believe it was, and then all of a sudden you found yourself in music. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, I went to Michigan planning a business career and ultimately studied music. I mean, it's not, it's pretty straightforward. The one thing I'll say is that I, when I started studying music lessons, I studied with famed tenor George Shirley, who happened to be the first African American tenor to sing at the Met. And if anybody knows George out there, he is a man with a very high ethical standard of life. And uh, he imbued on me uh, some moral responsibilities to sharing my talent with everybody when one is endowed by God with a great talent. And that really stuck with me. And so I've lived by that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about George's legacy, um, his impact on the operatic world, but also on you personally? Yeah, George was, first of all, he served in the U.S. military. Uh, just that alone we should, we should say thanks for um, he began not even intending to be an opera singer. I remember him talking about this from our first days, that he was a music teacher in public schools and ultimately f kind of fell into opera and into the Metropolitan Opera Competition after service. And his career just kind of turned into a kind of hockey stick where it just shot up because of his preparedness and his willingness to go out there and do it. And I, I appreciate that. I've learned, he's given me a number of life lessons and life credos to live by in terms of my preparation and 
how I how I achieve uh, success based on either his own mistakes or his own lessons that he's learned in the process, and I've lived by them or improved them. And he, he he's given me a lot of incredible insight. Even even after the years that I studied with him formally, I've maintained a very good contact with him uh, for mentorship and for guidance about my career. Yeah, George is so special. We are so excited to be to be able to offer this honor to him on October twelfth. Great, uh, Michael. You've uh, you've talked in the past uh, about how classical operas in the canon contain characters or storylines which might be considered offensive or misogynistic, uh, and then you began talking about how you would approach these characters. Uh, with the critical uh, empathy. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in the state of opera today with this regard to this. Great question. Um, I think that we, there are operas like Rigoletto, for instance, where you have a man, the Duke of Mantova, who is effectively a sex addict. And even though he's married, he loves women. And we have to look, first of all, at when we do these operas, how we can do them knowing what the audience is today and how we can present these works that make the opera-going opera public understand that these works don't necessarily reflect what we view of society, but how we appreciate the music. And so when I do the roles, I try to put my own spin on the operas. And so I recently sang a production of Rigoletto in London where I was asked to be quite uh, brutish with women on stage and I said, no. I said, I will not do that. And I was told, but this is the production, Mr. Fabiano. This is what you must do. And I said, I must not be brutish with women. And I don't think uh, a, a man who is a duke would be brutish with women. I think that he would be elegant and beautiful and kind with them. And I think we need to readjust that thinking. And ultimately, people turned and came around to that notion. But it ended up making the, the front page of the Times of London that I said this in rehearsal and created a, lot, created a big firestorm for me for a while because I bucked the trend. But you know what? We're in a new, mo new moment. And I think we can still present classical works and be able to present them in a way that connect with people in a different way than what we think they connect, how, how we thought they connected in the past. We can still do them properly. Kudos. Uh, so like your mentor, George Shirley, you have a passion for arts education. And yes. I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about your initiative, which is called Art Smart. Thank you. Uh, so I'll introduce this by saying that I think, as George has always told me, I have, it's incumbent on people with talent to share their talent if they have it. They have a moral imperative to do so. And I concurrently believe that when one has, given, has been given so much uh, in their life, and that means guidance and support and assistance and, and care, which is what I've got, I've received from George Shirley, my other mentors and my other teachers, Neil Shikoff, Julia Faulkner, Bill Schumann, who was in my life for a very long time, uh, and then a, a myriad of coaches, Laurent Philippe, Martin Katz, whatever, who are there. I can go through a list of people. If I've missed a name, so sue me. But there are so many people out there. Um, I think it is incumbent on the individual once they've been given so much to give back. And because I'm an able-bodied, still youngish person, I think it's my responsibility to give back to society now 
And so what I have created with a dear friend of mine is an organization called ArtSmart that provides free weekly one-on-one vocal music instruction to children in underserved communities around the United States. And we started it in Newark, New Jersey, and now we're in six cities. We're going to provide by the end of May, let's be lean, 25,000 free music lessons, maybe 30. And uh, that's a and we've done this in four years. So to do that in four years is, has been a quick uptake and it requires a lot of focus. But what we're doing is not hoping to create new musical prodigies. We're, cre- we're hoping to create a framework by which kids who are on the margins, who might not graduate school, but music being their trigger, get them across the line. And if they get them across the line, that means we make sure they're not on the street we make sure that they are either go into a vocation or they get a job or ultimately they go to college. And that's what I think the education system should be focused on is what are all the triggers for the kids that are at risk? Not necessarily for the kids that are going to graduate, but the kids that are at, on that marginal line that have a 1.8 grade point average that might not graduate or might not get across the line. How can we help them now? What are we doing for them? And if music is that thing, let's do it. Amazing. It's that recognition that there is so much more that music does for us than continue to perpetuate professional singers and professional musicians. Right. Yeah, that's great. Michael, it is to be about nine years since you made your Metropolitan Opera debut in Stefalio. And one of the things that just impressed me by such a young man, you've done such a wide variety of roles. You've done Rodolfo, Pinkerton, Raffaele, of course, Jose, Renuccio, Don Carlo, Lenski, Hoffman, Alfredo, on and on. That's unusual with young singers today where uh, people are, seem to be more specialized. Uh, can you talk about the challenges of taking on all these different roles at such a young, at such a young age? First of all, it's no small feat to do a lot of opera by this point. I've sung almost 50, op- 50 different roles by the age of 35. That's a lot. Mm. Um, I am fortunate that I know I have an ability to learn music quickly. I'm, I'm not quite photographic, but I learn fast. I don't know how I gained that ability. I, it just happened. I can't explain it. I think it's something uh, divine because I... I, I know how to put music in my brain quick. Um, when it comes to the Metropolitan Opera and the number of roles I've done, a lot of them were smaller roles at the beginning to get my feet wet at the theater. And now it is that I'm singing big parts, serious parts in serious productions that are presented in high definition on television and in movie theaters. And that comes with the responsibility of knowing my audience and being very well prepared and I take that responsibility very seriously. Um, And it's an honor to be able to do this kind of high-level work. One of the things that I love doing, uh, I have a huge collection of pirate recordings, particularly from the Metropolitan, you know, they do the Saturday broadcast and other recordings. You know, in a day today where uh, in the past, you know, Enrico Caruso wouldn't have to worry about being recorded every time he opened his mouth. But obviously today, in today's world, every time you step out the door, you could be recorded. Has that presented a challenge? Oh, you bet. I always say... I say that the singers had it a lot easier in the 60s and 70s when they were, quote, the great stars and in the golden age because they can get away with having a couple of bum nights. Now, if I have one bum night, it's the career is over for Michael Fabiano if he has one bum note. And 
and and or the, whoever singer it is, if you know, oh, that note was out of tune tonight. Oh my God, what's happening to the, the Mr. Fabiano? Why did he sing that one note wrong? Well, excuse me. You know, it's called live performance for a reason. That live performance is never perfect. Perfect. Our goal is to strive for excellence on the stage and do our best. And so I'm aware that I'm constantly being recorded or listened to or taped or videotaped. So that means that I have a higher burden to be in form all the time. In form, meaning in good, in good shape. And uh, sing healthily. And until August of this year, I have never... I had never canceled a single performance in my career. And in Edinburgh, I canceled the first performance in my life three weeks, four weeks ago because I was just so ill and I wasn't going to sick my way through it. I decided, you know what? I have too much riding in the next four months to wreak havoc on my throat and I'm going to call this one. And it was a hard pill to swallow because up until the age of 35, I'd never backed out of a single show even when I was really sick. And I don't take steroids. I don't take those kind of medicines to get me over the line. So I've already, I, when I had been sick in the past, I'd always done it um, by prayer. That, that's <laughs> and, an incredible record. That's and, an incredible uh, record. And just hoping. But I, I, was, I self-flagellated for a week. I said, I can't believe I've canceled for the first time in my life. And, uh, but I hope it's one of very few for me. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the repertoire that you'll be sharing with us in Detroit? What can we look forward to hearing? Uh, a lot of spaghetti and meatballs, <laughs> is what I would say. Uh, a lot of Verdi, a lot of Puccini, a lot of Verismo, um, the things that I like to do. But I think the things that the public will know and appreciate. Uh, for me, singing uh, the big Verdi and the big Puccini are things that I, A, I do well, but B, I enjoy to do. And as a, as a result, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share that kind of music with everybody. I think there's going to be André Chenier on the concert, a duet from La Boheme, La Lesiana, Turandot, lots of things that people know. So that'll be, it'll be a great night. We can't wait to hear it. Thank you. Was there anything else, Michael, that you wanted to share in advance yeah, of your time with us in Detroit? Yeah. I want to say this. I think that it's really spectacular for me to be back in Detroit and to see this city after 14 years. I was here until 2005 when I was in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And to come back to see Detroit in this huge resurgence uh, was actually really emotional for me yesterday to actually see the city in this huge upswing. Again, I'm going to use the hockey stick, but this huge curve up it's it's empowering for me to see that we there's this insurgence of technology companies and and other companies that have made their way here in light of kind of industrial failure over the last 20 30 years which to me signals that there is a great great opportunity for the arts community to capitalize on partnering with a number of great institutions and companies in the community. And I think it's incumbent on the leadership of the DSO and the MOT and the DIA to make their cross-pollination efforts with the new organizations that are in this city as big as possible because art matters. This city was 
one of the big capitals of art and music in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. And I think it again can be the capital or one of the capitals of music. And it's going to take those wonderful public-private partnerships now. And I think young leadership can do that. And I look forward to that growth over the next five years. Michael Fabiano, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We look forward to seeing you back uh, on the stage of the Detroit Opera House on October 12th. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. Thank you to WDET and Jake Neer for all of their assistance. And we look forward to seeing you on October 12th for Michigan Opera Theater's 49th season gala concert. <laughs>